I, wa- I want to um, address something I said last week before I start my sermon. Um, here's the thing. I don't want you to cross out uh, scripture that you don't agree with in your Bibles. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me apologize for, for saying that. You know, sometimes Chris will, will get on me saying, you know, you think you're, you think you're funny, but you're really not. And, uh, and so if that, if that uh, offended, I, I do want to apologize. Please forgive me. Anyway, today uh, the title of this sermon is Called to Bless. Called to Bless. Our, our text is 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. And uh, in, uh, in his TED Talk, a guy named... John Sutherland, he's an officer in London's police department, explained a principle of uh, forensic science, which is called uh, Lockhart's Exchange Principle. If there are any forensic scientists in here, you've you've probably heard of that. It was was developed by uh, Dr. Edmund Lockhart. He's kind of the Sherlock Holmes of uh, France. And and the the principle has a very simple premise. The premise is that every contact leaves a trace. You know, in other words, every, every criminal in the commission of a crime leaves some evidence, some, some trace of evidence behind him. Uh, one, for instance, expert, one forensic, forensic expert puts it this way. Wherever he steps, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously will serve as a silent witness against him. Not only his fingerprints or footprints, but his hair, the fiber in his clothes, the, the glass he breaks, the paint he scratches, the blood he deposits or collects. This is evidence that does not forget. Now, Sutherland explains how this principle applies not just to forensic science, but also for uh, human relationships. He says, every time two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place, whether between lifelong friends or, or passing strangers. We encourage, we ignore, we, we hold out a hand or, or we withdraw it. Uh, we, we walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. And every single contact leaves a trace. The way we treat and regard one another matters. It really matters. We're, we're called to bless. So what do we do? Do we bless each other or, or do we curse each other? You know, what, what impact do we have on the people we interact with day by day? You know, what, what is within us? Our, our thoughts, our attitudes uh, work their way outward and, and people see and it, and it matters. <clears throat> and so, you know, it's really what is within us. What's in our heart that uh, ultimately determines the outcome. And we struggle. We struggle with this. Our, our natural tendency to sin prompted David to, to realize in Psalm 51, 5 through 6, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin, or in sin, did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God cares about our our inner being. He cares about our relationships. He cares about how we treat each other. He calls us to bless one another. And uh, this morning, then, as we uh, continue in 1 Peter, 
We're, we're in chapter 3, verse 8. We, we continue to see a, a picture of how we should live in relationship with one another as God's people. So let's read this. Open your Bibles, if you haven't already. Verse 8, chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would uh, deeply penetrate our hearts. Lord, that uh, your word would, would dwell richly in us. Lord, that your word would make an impact on us deep down. Deep down, Lord, change us and, and transform us. In Jesus' name. So now in in the last couple sermons, Peter has been addressing uh, certain groups of people, groups of people, citizens, servants, husbands, wives. Now he's talking to all of us. He's addressing all of you, he says, all of you. None of us are exempt. God cares. He cares about our character. He cares about each and every one of us and how we live. And this passage seems to center around how we should properly respond to one another. Do we bless or do we curse? We're called to bless. He begins by laying out uh, the qualities or, or the attributes that form a proper foundation for being able to respond in a way that honors God. So we're, we're called to bless by having a godly disposition together, responding to each other in a godly manner and, and keeping a proper relationship with God. And I apologize, we don't have slides. Something happened. So first, we can bless others by having a godly disposition, doing it together. This is how God wants us to be. Let's look at a list that Peter gives us. These are some key things that he lists. The way Peter words this sense, this sentence has a has the sense of being. It has to do with our our character. He doesn't say practice these things, though if we have this character, if we are this way, we are going to practice these things. But he's saying have these traits, have this disposition, be this way. You know, these are characteristics that should define us. These are things that should be at our very core. First of us, he tells us to have unity of mind. You know, be be like-minded, be united in spirit, be harmonious together. And we hear a lot of talk about unity. We, we see it in the scripture all over the place. I, I really don't know if there's a book in the Bible that doesn't in one way or another address humility and, and unity. But 
you know, it's something we, we pray about. We, we ask the Lord to, to give us, you know, but it, but it seems elusive. And why is that? What are the elements of unity? I think first we need to have uni- the unity of, of faith. You know, we need to be univi- unified in, in our beliefs about the, the essentials of, of the faith. We, we believe together that, that there's one God. We believe together that uh, he's the father of our Lord Jesus. And we believe together that God's word is inerrant. It's, it's spirit breathed. We believe together in the, uh, the deity and the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. We believe together in his, his bodily resurrection, his glorious return. We believe these fundamental things. We, we must agree on these. If we don't agree on these essentials of the faith, uh, we don't have a foundation for unity. You know, what is the basis of our faith? Paul talks about that in, in the book of Ephesians. He says we have one Father, one Holy Spirit, one Savior, one baptism, one family. So, you know, we shouldn't separate our, ourselves out in, in tribes. The world does that. We should, we should not let the world's tribalism wake, make its way into the, uh, the church you know, tribalism is kind of an us versus them mentality, you know, where we feel like we're always right. We've got to win. We want the other side to lose. This doesn't say that we should all be alike, think alike. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is more like uh, harmony. You know, we, we, we get in trouble when we demand that everybody's exactly like us. You know, how many, how many marriages do we have where the marriage partners, husbands and wives have to uh, work through this over a long period of time and realize that we're not exactly the same, that there are going to be some things we, we differ on. Maybe that's just my marriage. Maybe it's not true. I'm kidding. But you know what? What make, what is it that makes harmony nice in music? You know, it's that the same note is not being played exactly alike by everybody playing the exact same instrument. You know, we have this this variety of instruments playing a melody with different notes. Somehow, somehow the notes work together to, to just give this this depth of beauty in the music. If we don't have harmony and we're still playing different notes, we have uh, dissonance. We have cacophony. It, it, it hurts our ears. We need, to, we need to be harmonious in our relationships with, with one another. God has gifted us each uniquely in, in his body so that we can work together in harmony. And play a beautiful song together uh, to the Lord. You know, each one of us has has different gifts, unique gifts that we can use to build each other up for the benefit of the the body, the church. So we need to come together and work together, supporting each other, without being uh, disagreeable and and dissonant, so to speak. 
Next, uh, Peter says we need to have sympathy. We need to be sympathetic people. Now, I looked up the, the Greek word. This, interestingly, is a word that only appears once in the entire New Testament. But I did find a quote from uh, Euripides. He's a, he was an ancient Greek playwright. And uh, th- this one quote I found, he said, the best thing for a husband is an understanding wife. That word for understand. This is a sympathetic understanding. A sympathetic understanding. You know, do we, do we seek to understand each other's views? Do we take the time? Do we spend the, uh, the emotional energy to, to actually listen to people and understand what they're saying? Or do we just dismiss them without even listening? You know, we need, we need to be considerate of others and, and grant them honor as, as fellow believers. We should, we should be attuned to what God's doing in other people's lives. You know, we, we should rejoice with those who rejoice. We should weep with those who weep. We should, we should bear each other's burdens. The Bible tells us we should, we should work to lighten each other's loads with this sympathetic understanding. I see this often in this church, and I'd, I'd like to, to commend you all for the way you take care of each other. It's a beautiful thing here. Next, Peter mentions brotherly love. This is mutual affection. It's something that we have. It's a special bond. Being in the same family, having the same heavenly father. We're, we're all adopted children in this family. Fellow Soldiers, fellow workers, you know, we, we should work side by side, shoulder to shoulder. In, in Romans 12.10, Paul commands, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo each other in showing honor. I love that verse. Outdo each other in showing honor. We need to show love. We need to show special honor to our our brothers and sisters, our, our fellow heirs. We can, we can show brotherly love by seeking peace with our brothers rather than strife and conflict. That should be our goal. When, when I was a boy, well, we had six kids in our family. I know that some of you have larger families than that. Well, there was never a dull moment in our house. And we, we always weren't, good about showing brotherly love. Uh, I'd say that uh, even some of us have had childish attitudes and childish behaviors stay with us into adulthood. Have you ever noticed when when you get together as a family, sometimes those childish behaviors come out? We need the Lord, don't we? Yeah, we, <laughs> we need the Lord. We need to be peacemakers, not peace breakers. Next, Peter talks about a, a tender heart, a tender heart. We need to have compassion, be compassionate people. And, and again, this, this is not so much an, an action as it is a disposition. You know, how do, how do we respond deep down when we see someone hurt? How do we... 
react when we see somebody being mistreated? How do we, you know, what, what, what comes from our heart when we see somebody suffering? What do we do when we, we realize that we're the cause of that pain? You know, some of us might just think or, or say, just get over it. Some of us might be hardened and, and some of us might not even realize the effect that we have on, on other people. You know, the idea is a heart of mercy, a heart of compassion towards others, whether they be in our church or in the world. A few, a few years ago, Chris and I spent about a week, I think maybe a little less than a week in, in Seattle. We, we were going to be picking up our, our son, Matt, who had been in Africa for several months. And... Uh, so we just thought, well, we'll hang out. You know, we'll park the car. We won't even use the car. We'll just walk around and have a vacation walking around Seattle for a few days. And we did that. And one evening, as we were walking around, we, we walked past this one guy in, uh, on the sidewalk. And he said, I'm hungry. And we walked right past him, just walked right on by and we went back to our, our room in the, the hotel, and I had my guitar with me. I was, I was uh, leading music at our church in Montana at the time, and I was practicing some songs. I was singing this one song by Shane and Shane where the lyrics were, Come meet us, Lord Jesus. Let, let the wind of change blow through this temple. I felt the spirit convict me about my lack of compassion. So we went outside again and found that guy. He was standing right there in front of Subway, and we bought him a meal. Spoke a word about the Lord Jesus with him. I need work in this area. I don't know about you, but I do. Finally, Peter mentions a, a humble mind. And this, like I said, this, this keeps coming up. Humility is a major theme in the Bible. And, you know, how many different ways can we say it? We can say it a lot of different ways because God's word says it a lot of different ways. And it applies to all of us, you know, regardless of what our position is, regardless of what our family situation is, regardless of what our work situation is. We all need humility. A humble mind. You know, it takes, it takes humility no matter where we're at. It takes humility to be in a position of uh, church leadership where we need to put the, each person of, of the church, each member of the church above ourselves. It takes humility as a, as a member to receive from the leadership and to trust the leadership you know, a humble mind. Peter's talking about how we think. He's talking about how we need to be like-minded than we need to be humble-minded. We need a change in perspective. You know, we need to realize who we are in light of who God is. You know, we, we really don't have any bragging rights as, as human beings. We don't have a good track record. You know, we're sinners. 
that we're saved by grace. You know, maybe, maybe humility, maybe this will, will help us to uh, get the logs out of our eyes before we look at the specks in somebody else's eyes. Maybe this will help us to be able to, to overlook things that we maybe don't like in other people. You know, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in the Proverbs, Proverbs 19.11, which says, It is man's glory to overlook a transgression. That's one of the first principles, by the way, of, the, of those two things, in fact, uh, are, are some of the first principles in biblical peacemaking. You know, get the log out of your own eye. Own your part in, in the conflict. And then if, if it's something that can be overlooked, it's best just being overlooked. And yes, it's true, some things can't be overlooked, but most things can. We don't need to be fault finders. We can be such prideful people. Uh, you know, and we might be able to fake humility. But in our minds, we need to be uh, sincerely convinced that the other person is more important than we are. We need to allow the Spirit of God to transform our minds. He's talking about a humble mind. He's talking about how we think, how we think about ourselves with other people. So we need to have a godly disposition if we're going to bless others. We're called to bless. We also need to respond to others properly. Respond to others properly. This often means uh, responding to poor treatment from somebody else. You know, Peter makes no bones about it. We, we can expect to be treated poorly. There will be people who have malice towards us. There will be people who revile us. There will be people who abuse us and and try to hurt us at one time or another. But we need to respond properly. We need to respond as God would, would have us respond. You know, first, we don't repay, Peter says, evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. You know, this, this word evil, this is, this is harmful or, or injurious treatment. You know, we talked earlier in First Peter, Peter chapter 2 about the, the poison fruit of malice. Some people enjoy hurting others. Definitely something to, to be put away, as Peter said. But when we're the recipients of malice, what do we do? What's our natural response? We want to retaliate. Again, back to when I was a boy. You know, if, if my brother hit me, I, I didn't have to think about how to respond. I'd hit him right back. You know, in our flesh, we want to give payback. We, we want to even the score, don't we? I, I really see this sometimes in uh, people when they drive. You ever you ever seen people that just the sweetest person become, becomes a rage monster at, at the slightest provocation? Yeah, 
you know, normally they're the, the kindest people, but, you know, what is it that happens to them when, when somebody irritates them on the road? We, we must not repay evil for evil, malice for, for malice. You know, it's, it's not for us to take revenge as much as we'd like to, as natural as it feels. You know, we surely must not be the, uh, the instigator, but we definitely should not be the uh, retaliator. And Paul addresses this in Romans 12, 17 through 21. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So brothers and sisters, we need to live in peace together. We, we must not build walls in our relationships. And what Paul is saying here in that verse is if, if there is a wall, make sure you're not the one who built it. Do everything you can to tear down that wall. We should repay with kindness. Next he says, don't pay reviling for reviling. This is very similar to evil for evil, but uh, this is this is speech that is abusive. It's speech that is insulting, full of reproach. You know, this is, this is how we should not speak to anyone. You know, there might, there might be someone who thinks, well, it's, it's my responsibility. It's my, my duty to give people a hard time for their, their faults and failures. No, you know, Peter puts this in the same category as evil. You know, it's, it's harmful. It, it tears down. We, we need to build people up rather than tearing them down. We need to encourage as much as we can. We need to be edifiers, encouragers, not revilers. But when people revile us, and they will, what are we going to do? Again, you know, isn't, isn't that just our first impulse to, to strike back? You know, we... Some of us are, are quick and very clever with, with comebacks. Some of us aren't as quick, and then we feel bad that we didn't come up with something that we <laughs> thought of later, you know. Maybe, you know, James, James says, let, let every man be quick to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Maybe it's a blessing if you're a person who can't come up with that response in a flash. You know, our example in this is is Jesus. Remember in chapter 2, Peter said this of Jesus. He said in verse 23 of chapter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. These are verses we need to commit to memory. These are verses we need to practice and draw on these principles at moments. Notice, that'd be better goal than practicing quick comebacks. 
We need to be slow to speak against someone in retaliation. Now, rather than repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, Peter gives us the alternative or the right thing to do. We're called to bless others when they treat us wrong. You know, as I was meditating on these verses, something caught my attention, this this word repay. What does it mean to repay? You know, it's it's a, a repayment is is the meeting of an obligation. Why is it we feel obligated to revile when somebody reviles us? Why do we feel like we need to pay somebody back when they do something evil towards us? Why do we feel that like that's an obligation, something that we owe them? You know, this demonstrates the uh, really the twistedness of, of how we think in our, our flesh. You know, when someone does this wrong, do we feel an obligation to repay? You know, if, if somebody lends me something, it bothers me if I keep it too long. You know, there's this kind of that gnawing thing. Well, I, I need to get that uh, skill saw back to whoever or whatever, you know. And I'm afraid sometimes maybe we get that same gnawing feeling when we, <laughs> we haven't given back reviling for reviling or, or evil for evil. That shouldn't be. Again, we need a change of heart. We need the Lord. We need transformation. We need to turn this on its head and ask ourselves, how can God be glorified in this situation? Not how can I satisfy my desire to, to get back. Peter says, on the contrary, on the contrary, bless for this you are called. We're called to bless. Instead of going with our, our natural impulse, do something radical. Bless the person who has caused you harm. Can we do that? Jesus commanded us to do this. In, in Luke six twenty seven through 29, he says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. How can we bless others? I think we need to spend some time thinking about this. We need to get creative. You know, what, what can we do to bless others, especially when we don't feel like it? You know, sometimes just a simple smile can, can make a, a world of difference to, to someone. You know, a kind word, uh, a helping hand. Maybe this should be our homework for the week. How, how can we bless, ten, ten ways, how, how can we come up with ten ways to bless people? And we're promised that if we bless, when we bless, we will be blessed. You know, God promises we'll receive blessing when we bless. He knows what we're going through. Jesus said, uh, blessed are you when others revile you. This is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are, the, are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Bless, Peter says, and, and you will be blessed. 
you know, maybe we won't receive a blessing from, from that person, but we'll certainly be blessed uh, by God. You know, that shouldn't be our motivation that we get blessed by the other person. Our motivation should be God's response. And who knows? Maybe our, maybe our kindness will make a difference in that person. Maybe they'll think about it. Maybe it'll bother them. Maybe God's spirit can work in that person's life because we bless them instead of retaliate. In any case, our reward's from God. If, our, if we follow our natural tendency, what will our reward be? We might feel good momentarily. You know, the, the satisfaction of, of getting in the last word, the victory of winning, you know, knowing that we're right, the, the joy of causing pain to someone who caused us pain. Uh, those are inferior rewards. Those are, those are dark motivations. You know, shouldn't we rather desire blessing from God than those feelings which are eventually going to harm us? God has blessed us so much more than we, we can possibly imagine. You know, we, we need to pass that blessing on to other people. That needs to be our motivation, you know, and, and then God will bless us even more so that we can bless other people even more. Jesus said in Luke 6:38, "Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your lap. With the measure you use, it shall be measured back to you. Bless and you'll be blessed. We're called to bless. And here's the upshot of, of blessing others. You know, our, our lives and our relationship with God depend on it. We need to keep a proper relationship with God. You know, Peter, Peter quotes from uh, Psalm 34. In your Bibles, you probably notice that it's written a little bit differently, formatted a little differently. This is, this is a quotation from Psalm 34, which, by the way, has really the same theme as one of the major themes in this letter of uh, 1 Peter, that uh, suffering is followed by eventual deliverance. And even if we do suffer for righteousness' sake, we'll be blessed. And I, I believe this whole psalm was, was present in Peter's mind as he, as he penned this, this letter. Actually, I, Silas, I think, penned the letter, but as he dictated it. Some scholars believe that uh, this psalm, Psalm 34, was, was used as a uh, catechism, a, a, an instruction for Christians, some feel like this song was uh, a, a very popular hymn that was sung by the early church. So the readers would have been very familiar with what Peter is saying here, very familiar with this quote. Earlier, Peter had quoted in Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And here he quotes from verses uh, 12 through 15 of that psalm where uh, Peter, or excuse me, where the psalmist speaks of the life of, of righteousness. You know, the, uh, the foundation of Christian living is 
living together in, in integrity before the Lord. He says, here's Peter's quotation, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. <clears throat> this Psalm 34 answers a question. The question it answers is, how can I enjoy a satisfying and worthwhile life? This would be a good psalm to go back and look at this week. Yeah, I think the whole world would like a good answer to that question. You know, people are people are chasing happiness. They're chasing fulfillment and all kinds of empty things, empty pursuits, futile things. You know, we read the book of Ecclesiastes and and, and see that. You know, we can see the the futility of seeking anything other than God. Only God can provide a true quality of life. You know, there's, there's a blessing who live in his way. Blessing for those who live in his way. You know, a, a, a righteousness apart from him is not true righteousness. What is it? It's self-righteousness. You know, we can, we can attempt to follow the rules. We can attempt to do... Even all these things that, that Peter says, but apart from God, it's not going to work. In our own power, you know, it just becomes legalism and moral, you know, moralism, uh, self-righteousness that, that in the end is, is just untenable. It just isn't in us apart from him. You know, we need to seek God's kingdom. We need to seek his righteousness. Living, living under his gaze, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, as, as we seek his truth, as we seek his righteousness and his peace, you know, we can, we can find that we can approach him in prayer and know he hears us. We, we come to the amazing realization that these things can flow from us because they flow from the Holy Spirit with, within us. We're called to bless. How can we have these things? How can we have these things? You know, we, we need to look to the one who, who embodies them, you know, Jesus Christ. And it's it's by him and, and through him and and only him that we can do these things. So let's let's seek to be conformed to his image. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to, to move within us and let's, let's yield to him. Let's surrender to, to the Lord. You know, may, may we take God's word to heart on, on these matters. Uh, he, he has called us to bless how we treat others matters. You know, just, just as with uh, Locker's exchange principle, we have an impact on everybody we we encounter. I think in heaven some days, someday we're we're going to have p- people come up to us and say, you know, you 
you said something to me that just changed my life. Yeah, we need to uh, have a disposition towards others. It's God's will that we do that places others above ourselves. We need to, we need to have that heart of unity and unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tenderness, humility. Only when we do that can we be the people that God has called us to be. We need to come to him in faith. We need to allow him to transform our our hearts and our minds. We need to allow him to mold us into the people he wants us to be, who are people who respond well in a godly manner to others, never taking revenge, never evil for evil, never reviling for reviling. We need to be people of peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the children of God. We need, to, we need to be known as peacemakers if we're Christians. We, we live under our, our Heavenly Father's watchfulness. Uh, he hears our prayers. And let's, let's keep that in mind as we daily seek him, as we daily seek him and, and desire to love life and see good days. Let's pray. Father, in in Christ's names, uh, be glorified in our lives, Lord, in in our hearts, deep down, in our relationships, Lord. Give us... uh, Give us that same attitude that, that Jesus had, you know, not returning insult for insult and hurt for hurt, Lord, but uh, returning blessing, just like Jesus, uh, bringing life, bringing light to those he encountered. Uh, just thank you, Lord, for, for blessing us. Lord, you, you saved us from our, our sin. You, you brought us from utter darkness to your marvelous light. Let's praise you, Lord, for for that. Change our hearts, Lord. Amen.